0: Hello, this is Kelsey, and uh, we're here again with conversations, uh, conversations with microphones. <laughs> Not having the conversations with the microphones, we're having conversations with each other, and the microphones just happen to be here. But uh, I'm joined again by Ryan and Nathan, and uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, critical thinking and forced apologies. So it was kind of where we left it off last time. Yeah. We were talking about uh, Socrates and how he's essentially forced <laughs> to kill himself. Right. Um, and so maybe there are times where people don't like your critical thinking, and uh, maybe there's a forced apology that, that goes on there, or maybe just something that people try to use different methods to uh, challenge the way that you do things. And so um, I think we have a video that we're, we're going to watch that something that's kind of interesting for the conversation uh, today. So uh, I'll leave it there if you guys want to say something to kick it off as well.
1: Yeah, uh, I was just going to say, I, I think it helps to have an example. Um, and it's difficult to wrap your head around critical thinking without actually seeing how it applies in the real world. So I think this is probably a, as good as place as any to start with a video of of one way of looking at the world and then see how critical thinking can be used to to take a look at that.
2: Yeah, and I mean, I think that um, based off of what, where we left off last time, we were talking about um, critical thinking and, and how Socrates, in many ways, has, as, um, as recorded by Plato, uh, kind of introduced a lot of that at, at his time or in his time. Uh, and there's a lot of different examples of critical thinkers over the years, but Socrates, you know, in particular, what we're... Joked about towards the end was he was forced to kill himself um, through drinking hemlock uh, because he was, he had introduced basically questioning authoritative figures uh, all the way up through the gods, the deities at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think, you know, we've we've watched this video before. Um, we definitely have some reactions that we kind of want to go over, I think, today. Yeah. Um, and part of that does have a forced apology in the in the middle there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, it's a very salient point presently. We see that a lot in social media now yeah. where people are, are asking for an apology before anything even can continue. Mm-hmm. And I think that for the purposes of our conversation and critical thinking, we're really... Not necessarily looking at apologies as a bad thing, but more that the the idea of, of putting power towards this apology and that nothing can move forward in argument or conversation before an apology is made in the exact way as prescribed, mm-hmm. uh, that it is really not a good way to, to continue conversations or really a, a good way to, to be able to even respect difference of opinions because it, it does kind of force things to pause and, and really isn't giving uh, the latitude towards differing opinions and an argument as a whole.
0: I think so. Yeah. And I, I had kind of looked up a little bit about epistemology last time because I, I sort of just defined it as the quest for truth. And I was reading another article on Britannica about, you know, their kind of take on it. And it was interesting mm-hmm. that they really brought up sort of Greek philosophers as well. And the way that they um, were looking at it as, you know, the, the sort of, you know, study of knowledge, Mm -hmm. you know, if you will. And so, uh, I think that's an interesting article to look at as well. And one of the things they did mention was the, the perspective of the observer and the, uh, sort of, um, observer test. And, you know, they were bringing it up in the way that, you know, if a doctor says, well, Hey, this might hurt a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, there's really no way for them to know what it's going to feel like for you, what your level of pain is going to be. And so, I think that's an interesting perspective, too. But at the same time, when you talk about, you know, epistemology or, you know, sort of the study for knowledge and how we define what knowledge is, Mm -hmm. you know, there has to be something that we, again, talking about last time, there has to be something that sort of at least tries to to seek out a a more or less objective viewpoint. We can use the word objective in the loosest sense of the word. At at some point, we have to try to take notes and compare our realities to each other.
2: So. Well, and I think that that's how knowledge is gained in the first place. I mean, the, how we define what a fact is or how we define what knowledge is is really through shared experiences. Mm-hmm. And and that's, I think, what ultimately we're trying to get towards whenever we talk about different things as facts. Uh, we're saying that this is something that has been shared through a lot of different unique human perspectives. And I think that that's ultimately like some of the things that we're trying to, to talk about here, and especially with respect to this video, I think that There's a there's a call to action here that I think is probably uh, just uh, really more betrays that there's not an understanding of what uh, is being sought out with respect to science in particular. Um, Well,
0: without further ado, let's go ahead and uh, kick off what we're talking about here. Yeah,
2: let's do it
3: take the next slide okay so um can I respond to your submissions because I wanted to directly respond I was actually thinking about this coming here because I thought that it was going to be one of the 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 coming questions how do we even start to decolonize science because science is true because it is science and you know what can you do and my, my response to that was: if I personally were committed to enforcing decolonization science as a whole is a product of Western modernity and the whole thing should be scratched off, especially in Africa. So if you want, if you want practical solutions to how to decolonize science, we we'll would have to restart science from, I don't know, an African perspective, from our perspective of how we've experienced science. For instance, um, I had a question for all the science people. is uh, There's uh, a place uh, in, Keser, in sure. and they believe that through uh, the magic, the black magic, Magic—they call it Others that you are able to send a lightning to strike someone. Uh-huh. So, can you explain that scientifically? Because there's it something true. that happens. Is. Else. <laughs> 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 All
0: right. So, I think you know right there before we we get into the the rest of it, because uh, I think the second part you know coming up is what we talked about. Right. I think there's some reactions that we even had up to this point that maybe we want to cover real quick. So, um, right right off the bat, you know, she kind of says. That she is against this uh, for a circular logic, you know, argument which we kind of covered last time. Mm -hmm. Um, She says, "Well, you know, I don't think that you can say that science is true just because it's science, you know." And Mm -hmm. I agree, right? And I mean, this is in something else. I mean, uh, somebody else I was listening to the other day was saying, "Well, you know, you can't just say listen to the scientists because." you know, science changes and science disagrees with itself and it's not a monolithic block. And and I actually agree with that. But Mm -hmm. at the same time, somebody else was pointing out that science is a process. And so if you say, well, listen to the science, you're saying, okay, whatever way that goes, I think both can be true at the same time. You have to be able to acknowledge that, yeah, sometimes we get things wrong and it self-corrects and, you know, we figure it out. But you also have to recognize that, yes, sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we just don't know. And certainly you can't say that, science is true just because it's science, you know, and now I feel like I'm saying the word science a lot, but. Science, science, science. <laughs> well, yeah. I, you know, yeah.
2: I was actually curious, uh, in the first part, she says something about
1: dehumanized science.
2: Is that what she says?
1: I or? think it was
0: decolonize, or I don't know. Yeah. The, that,
1: the word was decolonized. Okay. decolonized? Um, yeah. Okay. yeah. So my interpretation of that, which I, I hope is at least somewhat accurate is that she's drawing a line from the empirical uh, um not empirical um, um, impi- um the the uh, empire of the united states and the the um the particularly britain to yeah. colonize other countries mm-hmm. particularly africa um well, and she does say that bringing, too. Like yeah. she, sa- she says, she yeah. says that she
2: wants to restart uh, science from an African perspective. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. So, so my, yeah, my, from, and I took notes. Um, she said something about wisdom, identity, and saying like you would have to decolonize science and then quote start from an African perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's an interesting take, and I, I think we should try and examine that from a critical thinking perspective.
2: Sure. I mean, you know, and one of the things I think that is kind of missing, uh, even in her own statement, there is that um, she's making she's made a supposition that Western science, as she um, is essentially a colony or colonialization of thinking, uh, and that it's been oppressed specifically upon various minorities, but then she proposes not something that is like uh, uniform. She's proposing a very specific subset of. Of thought and, and experiences as something that really should be that's where you should start from, mm-hmm. um, which uh, in, in its own right kind of is a little bit of dichotomous. I mean, there's Aboriginals, for instance, uh, who have you know I would say an equivalent level of um, of kind of history uh, and cultural perspectives, and probably have a, an equivalent level of uh, cultural identity and uh, and thought processes. And she's not she's not hearkening to to going back towards something from Australia or or New Zealand or otherwise. Um, And I think that there's, you know, at least in 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 how I'm interpreting this, it very much is kind of a very singular focus. And um, I think that that's part of the the reason why it it doesn't really make sense that you're thinking along the lines of restarting science if you're just going to say, I want to get rid of this and replace it with this perspective over here.
0: Well and the example that she brings up is she says, Okay, there's a tribe in Ghana that says, you know, they essentially believe in a black magic and that they believe that, you know, if they want to have lightning come down and strike somebody else Mm -hmm. and she says, Well, you know, how do you how do you describe that? you, know, how do and you I guess, explain it? Yeah. How do you explain it? And I guess she's saying that that's a reason why science needs to be scratched off, as she says, you know, and in, in that, you know, we shouldn't, um, shouldn't hold credence to that. But then mm-hmm. if that's true, you know, she starts out with it like, okay, well, we shouldn't believe science because it's science. Well, then doesn't that also mean that we shouldn't believe black magic because it's black magic? Right. I mean, the the same argument holds here. It's still circular reasoning. And so we clearly need some other way of looking at these things and Mm -hmm. saying, okay, well, if I believe that I can have lightning come down and strike you, does it actually happen? Is it repeatable? Mm -hmm. You know, we have science and we have the uh, empirical method, which is I make a hypothesis, I test that hypothesis, I get a conclusion, and then I write up my research and have somebody else look at it and then see if they can reduplicate my test. So in this case, I hypothesize that I can have black magic send lightning down to somebody else. Does that actually happen? <laughs> right. <laughs> so Well and I yeah. think that
2: I mean in, in there too, she also says that um, that these people believe this. Like this is something that they believe and they believe that if they do this at this location that they ask for black lightning to strike somebody, then but then she doesn't actually conclude with that. And then, of course, it strikes somebody. So how do you explain that? It's just that people believe this in that area of the world. And mm-hmm. I think that that's kind of the, the, the reason for science in the first place is that you're, you're not necessarily excluding that. In fact, I would even argue that part of the reason why you ask those kinds of questions is you want to know, okay, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm doing this thing and I'm expecting this result. Uh, does that result actually happen when I do this thing? That's mm-hmm. kind of what science as a method and as a process is trying to inform um, humanity. Yeah. And I think that that's kind of what's missing here is that she's asking for science to explain a belief system and really science for as, as a whole is not intended to um, explain. Well,
0: beliefs. Or even saying that, you know, science doesn't work because it doesn't explain that. And I, I would say right. that, you know, it kind of does, right, there are certain uh, areas of science that, I would say, leave that off the table, right. you know, because it's not repeatable, and so that's why we use the word belief, right, right. And so, hmm. you know, I think that they really object to the guy in the back of the room saying, well, it's not true, and
2: yeah, kind of goes
0: back to what we talked about last week, and so it's... Yeah, the
2: forced apology portion, yeah. and I, I don't we'll think get that we that. got to sure. that here, but, yeah, you know, he he's clearly... Kind of having a similar reaction to what we're we're thinking here too. It's like, well, I mean, how do you how can you possibly show that that is something that can be true? Uh, yeah. You believe that this happens, and that and you know maybe he's kind he's kind of taken it to the uh, extreme. Mm-hmm. Like he he doesn't know for a fact as of right now that that is something that cannot be done based off of his limited experience. Sure. And yeah. if we were to kind of give credence to that statement, then yeah, you would want to from a scientific perspective. Go to that place, ask for this thing, see if it yeah. happens. Yeah, not necessarily say that's not true from the back of the room. Yeah, but he is kind of taking, you know, based off of a 2016 perspective. <laughs> yeah. probably a little bit more of a. Um, I don't think that this is something that it exists because we probably would have some cell phone. Footage, or we would have some more social eyewitness accounts. Yeah, Yeah. we would have a lot more data, and we don't have that data. So, he's saying, "I know that I have never seen this data in my in my lifetime."
0: It's probably really easy to say that I believe if I, you know pray to whatever black magic god there is that I can right. send a lightning down to somebody else a thousand miles away. It's a very easy thing for me to believe if I have no capability of getting to the place a thousand miles away. Right. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> no kidding.
1: I don't have to be proven wrong. I right. can just believe that it <laughs>
0: happened. Yeah. So there might be something that... It happens there too. So, uh,
1: just to backtrack, um, in in case uh, we don't have video feed for this, this is a YouTube video called "Science Must Fall?" question mark And it was uploaded, as Ryan mentioned, in October of 2016.
2: So, I, you know, as to your point, we can't necessarily see what actually happened like a thousand miles away. If you're trying to assume that by going to a place and, and thinking that. By doing something that you're able to affect somebody a thousand miles away, yeah, you're not going to be able to see that that was something that was something that actually happened. The, the, just in the same way that the guy in the back of the room here is saying, you know, that's not true. He has not gone there for as far as we know. Right. Um, and he certainly is, you know, he doesn't seem to indicate that in this video, as we'll see uh, and hear. Because he, he is essentially, in this uh, next segment that we're going to go into, forced to apologize to the entire panel for making a statement that said that is not true. Now, going to critical thinking, of course, he's not really taking into account the fact that science, he's not quoting anything. He's just saying something. He's, he's kind of jeering in the background. So it's not wrong for them to take a pause and say, hey, please don't do that. What we're really talking about here is that there is a there's a format associated with this forced apology that has kind of come into the current modern yeah, 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 yeah. conversation.
0: Well, here, let's watch it. Yeah.
2: <laughs> okay. Why don't we watch? I can't tell if she wanted a high five there or something. Yeah.
4: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I need to address you directly. When we started this, we we agreed on certain house rules. Sorry. Sorry. By you doing that, you're disrespecting the sacredness of the space. And so I'd like to ask you to first please apologize to the panel directly. And then number two, understand the rules that we went by in this space because it's going to be very problematic this when we started this is not an antagonizing space and so what you're trying to do is collapse the space and make it antagonizing which we will not allow this is a progressive space for people to say their opinions and we have noted how those opinions are going to be laid out so i would like you to first apologize and then go on and agree to abiding by the rules of the space Otherwise, I'd I, I would if you're not willing to do that, I'd please ask you to remove yourself from this space. But th- those are the rules of engagement of this space. Okay, I'm very sorry to come. Uh, okay, and you agree to abide by the rules of space.
0: Thank you. Please okay, carry on. so, All right. so I'm gonna pause. Pause there. Um, So I think, you know, we can just talk about the uh, apology part of this before they go out in the the, the sort of third section of this, which I think is also interesting. So you were kind of saying there's a format, and I I think, Nathan, you might have been counting on your fingers how many times the guy actually said, was it three? Three. Yeah, yeah. he
1: apologized three
0: times. I think it might have even been more than that because it was like several sorry's in the background and then like the final sorry
2: well and before i mean this is a four minute video four minutes 14 seconds mm-hmm. that essentially that entire segment starts around one, one minute, minute two so three minutes so it's yeah. basically a minute and a half because this is now presently where she starts to go into this next um her next portion mm-hmm. the the kind of the, the head of this panel Essentially, addresses this man in the back of the room for a minute and a half mm-hmm. uh, over this whole apology, and and it, she's very specifically asking for a format uh, of yeah. an apology. She's not saying, she's not saying like, please don't do that. And this is not what we want. Um, mm-hmm. Are you okay with you know? We would like you to stay here, provided that you don't do that again. Mm-hmm. She instead kind of goes, okay, no, I'm going to address you directly you need to apologize now because you said something. Reagree to the rules. You need to reagree to the rules. This is a sacred space, all of these things. And I think that the the item that we're essentially um, talking about with respect to this forced apology is that um, it... It is making a, an assumption that you can't make any statements in, in a panel-like environment or otherwise. Well,
0: which is really interesting because I don't know if you caught it because one of the things she said in there is, you know, we set up this rules in this sacred space for people mm-hmm. to express their opinions.
2: It's a progressive environment.
0: Well, but well. I mean, like, but, but whose opinions? Because, mm-hmm. you know, like you pointed out, like him saying that's not true, we could— I think appropriately class that as an opinion Mm -hmm. in the context of this video. Like you said, you know, he also did not have firsthand knowledge of the place or being able to say like, okay, I can verify that that's not true, that Mm -hmm. that doesn't happen. So I think that's very, very valid. Right. And so you could say, well, look, you, you don't really know these people. You don't know that space. I mean, if, if, have you ever been to Africa? I mean, maybe things work differently in Africa. Right. Like, you don't know. And so from the standpoint of being able to repeat these things, I think these are also valid points at work in the context of, you know, science, repeatability. And, and so these, you know, I think that's, that is very valid. But at the same point, if you say, hey, this is a space for people to express their opinions. Well, I mean, if we say that that is his opinion, mm-hmm. we should be able to, to sort of have that conversation.
2: I think that there's a phrasing or a framing, I wish I should say, phrasing and framing that he could have changed. And Mm -hmm. this is kind of how you learn to talk to people, I think, whenever they have differing opinions, is instead of saying that's not true from the back of the room, you might say, well, how how am I supposed to know that that's what we should be um, using as a basis for this future decolonized science perspective? Right. Um, I think that if if they're willing to entertain a dialogue, and he's coming with a you know what is being classified as a Western perspective scientific approach, how is it that he can frame something um, that can actually allow for a dialogue to continue? And I think that both of those in, both of these instances are kind of a critique. We're, the forced apology is one way uh, of getting people to not say something um, that you don't want to hear. The other is also knowing your audience. Whenever you're making a statement, they're clearly not interested in hearing somebody say that's not true or making a statement. Mm -hmm. What they are, what really you want to do in that instance is probably to phrase it more along the way that they have their dialogue set up. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, if if this is not a space that you created, you kind of do have to adhere to the rules within the space. But there are ways to question the things that might be brought up in those spaces.
1: Yeah, right, I think that's a really good point. So every space, every group that meets is going to have certain rules like that. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the boardroom in a corporate environment or the classroom mm-hmm. or church or wherever. What's interesting to me is she's talking about sacred space, mm-hmm. which sounds like a a religious context. And the environment does not seem to fit that to my way of thinking because they're in a classroom. And so she's talking about opinion. And with that apology, if you interrupted someone or spoke out of turn, say, at a boardroom, someone would say, oh, hey, can you just save the questions to the end? It might not even mandate an apology. It would just be like, oh, um, please wait your turn. And then it would, it would just be a simple redirect, but this was a minute and a half of talking about sacred space and, you know, either you observe that, that sacredness and the rules that go with that sacredness or you leave. Mm -hmm. And so is she, is she really talking about a minor infraction of the rules or is she talking about a kind of heresy that was committed because someone disagreed with a sacred opinion in a sacred space? And so there's kind of a confusion or a conflating of what rules we're following, Mm -hmm. uh, at least in terms of traditional rules of a classroom.
2: And I mean, and I would agree. I mean, I think whenever I was listening to that and and watching it on this YouTube clip, you can tell she is asking for essentially an adherence that is in some ways a a bit more uh, strict than what might be uh, interpreted from the classroom setting. Uh, Yeah, typically
0: in a classroom, I feel like we expect people to question things and say, like, okay, you know, how do we know that that's, you know, what something we should follow or not?
2: Right. Well, and I think that it's I think it's important to know that I think what she's asking for is kind of almost the boardroom level where it's like, hey, don't do it that way. Here's these are the rules of the space kind of deal. But also a little bit more like this is. The panel is saying something, and you need to listen so don't don't say something that's going to interrupt that, which kind of has a little bit more of a stricter or possibly even a religious perspective uh, because you wouldn't be interjecting in the middle of a of a sermon or something to that effect right and it it is interesting to me to kind of see that because. If this was something that was actually being brought in a different environment, like, let's say, a parliamentary procedure or perhaps even from a Democratic like Congress standpoint, those things are still like these types of interjections, things like that. When you put people in a room and they have different opinions, they're still going to want to express those opinions. And we see that across the board. I no still think, yeah, I think that there, I think that there still is a, a desire to adhere to the rules because it is kind of good decorum. Uh, and that is how you ultimately can talk to somebody a little bit without having adverse reactions, perhaps, to your differing opinion. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you have to go through this whole um, forced apology uh, to get to that point. You know. I think that you can have a slip up. And I think that it's it's just a, a very poor way of, of getting to a good way of conversing with someone. Mm-hmm. If you just immediately stop everything and say, you need to now do this before we will even allow you to stay in the space.
1: Yeah. It seems like the, the best outcome of something like this would be the unintended consequence of silencing dissent. Mm-hmm. So it's one thing to say, "Hey, follow the rules," but something at this level, if I were that person, I wouldn't say another word until the yeah I mean, the procedure was finished
2: what was the What would be the point of saying anything at that point? because now you've basically been put on the spot as somebody that is not oh, a yeah. rule follower yeah. as well as uh, somebody that really shouldn't even be respected in the space. Mm-hmm. so now you've gone you've gone like two levels beyond what they did to you. Not, uh, only you, yeah. not only have you, not only have you, yeah, they interrupted you. But what did they really do? Did they attack you? I mean, if it wasn't an attack, uh, it seems like as if it was more of like, okay, I, sorry, I, I, I didn't adhere to the rules. My apologies.
0: Well, but maybe it but. was an attack. I mean, and I think that's a perfect thing again to sort of cue up the third yeah. part, right? Because yeah. this is this is the response that we get in follow up to to that. So here we
2: go. maybe it was perceived as an attack. You, know, you mean?
3: Exactly yeah, exactly is the reason why I am not in the science faculty. I did science throughout my high school years, and there was a lot of things that I just, um, yeah, but it's fine. But Western modernity, is the direct antagonistic factor to decolonization because western knowledge is totalizing it is saying that it was Newton and only Newton who knew or saw an apple falling and then out of nowhere decided that gravity existed and created a, an equation and that is it for the whether people knew Newton or not or whether whatever happens in western Africa, northern africa The thing is the only way to explain gravity is through Newton who sat under a tree and saw an apple fall. So Western modernity is the problem that decolonization directly deals with to say that we are going to decolonize by having knowledge that is produced by us, that speaks to us, and that is able to accommodate knowledge from our perspective. So if you're saying that you disagree with her approach, it means that you are vested in the Western and Eurocentric way of understanding, which means you yourself still need to go back internally, decolonize your mind, come back and say, how can I relook at what I've been studying all these years? Because Western knowledge is very pathetic, to say the least. I, from a decolonized perspective, believe we can do more as knowledge producers, as people who are given the ability to reason or whatever uh, is that people say we do when we think or rationalize. So decolonizing the science would mean doing away with it entirely and starting all over again to deal with how we respond to the environment and how we
4: understand it.
2: Thank you. Well, I mean, it's interesting that she brings up Newton's formulas and that somehow Newton's formulas themselves are now have to be accepted uh, regardless of Background, Regardless of like Western Africa or Northern Africa or otherwise, I, I do find it interesting that she chose that specific example, um, because in many cases, um, gravity and, and ultimately is one of the biggest things that we not only have, like have questioned over and over again mm-hmm. and tested repeatedly, but it's also helped with different things like understanding how you're able to fly, and that's something that you can actually see on a day-to-day basis Uh, with very very little exception you're able to see something out in the open um, flying Mm -hmm. heavier than air flight is actually something that is uh, repeatable and has is actually part of not only knowing um, aerodynamics but also understanding gravitational interactions so it's it is interesting that you kind of Criti- uh, criticizes that particular item, but I do think that her point uh, on decolonizing her mind or or your mind as part of approaching um, science as a whole. I think that whenever I hear that and whenever I see kind of the reaction that she had to the that is not true statement that was done <laughs> in the back yeah. of the room, uh, I think it was more because she is essentially asking for a cultural and acceptance or possibly inclusion that as far as she's seen and based off of her high school education there that it was not um, looked into or perhaps not even acknowledged and i think you know, if we were to go and look into that specific place that she talks about with respect to black magic and lightning and what have you, maybe there is somebody that looked into it from a scientific perspective mm-hmm. but again, perspective is kind of maybe a poor word uh, scientific analysis or really well and
0: perspective maybe is the right word I mean that's what she's advocating for is something some other system to mm-hmm. explain these kinds of things but I think when she says, well, you know, Newton just out of nowhere, Mm -hmm. her words came up with these laws to define gravity. Well, I think that we can all agree. I mean, you know, I think the the three of us have, you know, traveled many different parts of the world that gravity more or less operates the same in Africa as it does in the United States, as Mm -hmm. it does in, in Europe. You know, if I drop something, it's going to hit the ground. It's not like the... These sort of laws of gravity just change from different geographical locations across this planet. Right. So, singing that, you know, some Western person can make up a set of rules and, you know, people from Africa didn't have input, okay, but that doesn't mean that it's different there. Now, if you can come up with something of, of how lightning strikes in africa that's different than the u.s hey i'm all ears i'd love to know about that it's really interesting
2: i right? think a lot of people would actually yeah know. no kidding well, i mean you it, know? it would be a very fascinating fact uh, yeah. if it is indeed a fact that is repeatable and something that you can see
0: exactly and so that's the thing is from whatever perspective you have if mm. that's somebody in africa and that's their perspective you need to be able to convey that and communicate it with other people in a way that uh gets them to believe that it is true as well, and most mm-hmm. of the time that is, you know, replicating it in some way that you know there is some evidence that we can see that it's you know working or mm-hmm. that there is at least even somebody else that can tell us that we've seen it or that they've seen it rather. So I mean there are those kinds of things, and we talked about this. Um, so one of the things I, I pulled up here is Newton's laws first appeared in his uh, masterpiece that was published in 1687. Mm-hmm. And in that time, we have seen all kinds of questions about gravity from Einstein coming along to looking at how gravity works with, you know, the theory of relativity and you know, time and space and, you know, theorizing about gravitons, but never actually being able to prove it. it wasn't proven until you know, even more recently, you know, mm-hmm. they were able to come up with uh, some of the, the measurements that were able to observe that. So, I mean, in terms of like using gravity as an example in science, I mean, this is not something I think that, you know, any scientist in the last several hundred years since Newton has said, you know, I can put my sword in the ground and say that I absolutely know this.
2: Well, what's interesting is in this particular Britannica um, website that you've actually pulled up. Newton's laws were actually replaced um, in right. the 20th century yeah. by quantum mechanics and relativity, and both of which, I believe, were actually um, founded based off of Einstein's right. theory, theories of exactly. relativity and, and various science, scientists around that same time mm-hmm. frame. Again, this was because the physics, or, and really specifically astrophysics, um, did not like looking at the Earth was one thing, but looking outside of the Earth and looking at the things that were actually happening beyond uh, the the actual laws of uh, gravity that Newton purported in the sixteen hundreds needed to be modified. And I think that that's really what's kind of missing, even from that from this clip and the the perspective of that decolonizing something. Uh, personally, mm-hmm. I, I think that there's there's not really a good way of saying that Newton's laws themselves are actually trying to have some sort of colonizing uh, impact uh, Mm -hmm. because we're talking about gravity here and it's uh, something, again, like you mentioned, you can go across the world and you're going to see that things fall to the earth pretty much everywhere. Um, In fact, probably everywhere. (laughs) Um, But I think that what she's asking for is more of a, and uh, look into other areas of the world and to be able to analyze those and to maybe use them as means to understand different perspectives. I don't think that that's a wrong request. I think it's just more that she's going towards something that maybe isn't. Um, it just, it just yeah. really isn't taking into account what science has actually done in these other areas that are really have nothing to do with a cultural perspective.
1: I I have some thoughts on this. Um, so I don't have a test preloaded for the black magic claim that mm-hmm. was made in this video. However, I think there's others like it. One of the words that you used in she used it in the video was decolonize. Mm-hmm. And it's it's hard to know exactly what she means by that. There's a certain flavor that I get from that that the... British Empire colonized the world and totalized the available information and in critical thinking one of the things that comes to mind is the, I, the concept of debunking. So it seems that she's making a claim of how do we remove things that are totalizing and perhaps incorrect or disrespectful or not inclusive of other opinions and perspectives. Mm -hmm. So you look at something like in the 80s, there's this faith healer named Peter Popoff, and uh, he was someone who claimed to have the spiritual power to heal people of their cancer or their uh, infirmities or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this magician, James Randi, said, well, I think that's not actually what's going on and so he investigated, and he found that there was a radio frequency, and when he tuned into a certain radio frequency when he was sitting in the church of Peter Popoff, Mm -hmm. he could hear a transmission going on telling people which row they were sitting in and what ailments they had, so that Peter Popoff could look like he was doing something magical. So with science, there's this idea that we're actively trying to discriminate in a effective way to determine which ideas are are worth standing on and are reliable Mm -hmm. and which ideas are less reliable so i would be interested in learning more about this decolonizing thing to see if there's actually a way that it's effective at removing ideas that are maybe not so reliable
0: well i mean i think one of the the issues that I see with this is that it it is very much tied to identity and saying that I object to something purely on the basis of who came up with it. And I think, you know, when we talk about some of these things, I'm not sure that replacing things in that way is uh, any better than, you know, some of the sort of objectionable sort of concepts that we, we see now, right? So if you say that it's objectionable in one way to uh, look at a group of people and make assumptions about them, I think that it's also objectionable to say, well, I won't believe it unless a certain person said it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that that's really a bad test for how we observe reality and try to to glean knowledge and assumptions from it. If we say, well, Newton can't be trusted because he's from the West, and so we need to have somebody from Africa to make these claims, well, why is that? And I mean, is the person in Africa really going to come to a different conclusion? I mean, are they going to say that if I drop an object, that doesn't go to the ground? Now, I know that's simplistic when we talk about gravity and how complicated it is, especially talking about quantum mechanics and so forth. But again that would be an interesting test. And if you have a group of one people over here, look into it and a group of people over here, look into it, you know, do they really diverge that much and come up with completely differently wild theories? And is that really the best way to do it? Wouldn't it be better if we just said, Hey, all of you, instead of working separately, if you could all work together on this problem, mm-hmm. wouldn't that be better?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, and I liked your point too. Um, about how the decolonization of the mind kind of thing that she's talking about um I just it's a it, it seems to me that there's a there is a definitely a thought that something has happened with respect to science and and the critiques of things that has just excluded some portion of culture and some portion of human experience and I think that it's a it's a it's a valid question to have. But I think that it's um, it's good to go beyond just the question, uh, and to maybe start to assert some of those um, like to your point, Kelsey. Just replacing one person's perspective because you don't appreciate their background with another person's perspective from a different background that you would respect, doesn't really give you anything mm-hmm. different. Um, yeah, it's not really, uh, again, Nathan, to your point, it's not really changing how you can go about investigating and proving something you can uh, if you're and we haven't we haven't looked into what decolonized science is is asking for but it, is that particular technique going to be better at proving something right or wrong factually and and taking human mm-hmm. experience into account and saying okay these are repeatable events that's um that's something that we can certainly look into
1: right yeah, yeah i would agree with what you said. And also, Kelsey, I think you made a really good point that it seems that the argument is coming from a place related to identity, uh, particularly from the origin of Africa or where it came from. Mm -hmm. It seems like there's a fallacy associated with that. I think a genetic fallacy is maybe what they call it. And maybe special pleading is in there somewhere. We should probably get into what those fallacies mean in a later time.
2: Well, and I think that that's probably something that we can attack in the next in our next um, segment is absolutely we can talk more about yep. the different fallacies associated with sources uh, and what kind of gives that authority uh, or authoritative absolutely. fallacies. Yeah. as well as um, maybe, diving a little bit more into what this decolonized scientific approach really is.
0: Absolutely. Uh, I think the fallacies in the context of our conversations are going to be a great thing to keep looking into. Uh, Genetic fallacy, basically looking at something from where it came from, mm -hmm. I think is a great thing to talk about a little bit too, especially in the context of uh, this video. And so, yeah, I think that tees us up uh, perfectly for our next conversation. Great. Thanks Thanks a lot, guys. All right.
1: Have a good one. Take care.